How are we all doing? Good. You might want to wait on that until after, right? You don't know yet. You don't know yet. No, I thank you for the welcome. As you can tell, I'm just another bald guy up here this weekend. Uh, Mike Roberts, your campus pastor, was unable to be here this weekend because he's on a much-needed vacation, much-deserved vacation. And so he asked me to fill in for him, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. But I want to tell you something about your pastor. Pastor Mike Roberts is one of my good friends. He's a man that I respect deeply. He's a man that loves you well. He tries his hardest. It's a weird thing to be um, at a large church with four campuses and with a different preacher on the weekend than the campus pastor. And so I want you to know that Mike tries his best to love and reach out to you all well. And I tell you what, that man has some wisdom. That man has some wisdom. And so I would encourage you, if you ever find yourself in a spot or you've ever find yourself coming on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and you're like, you know what, I do need somebody to pray for me. Mike's always around here. He's more than happy to help you. Um, and he is a dear brother in the Lord and he is, a, he is a, a wonderful man of God's word. And so I'm grateful that he entrusted me with the opportunity to share in his behalf because this is a campus pastor weekend. He was going to be preaching, but it's me instead. So... You know the drill with Brian Haney. Open your Bibles. If you got them, Luke 14, we're going to be right there the whole time. Uh, If you have a glowy Bible, pull that open and you can pick that. We're going to be in the NIV, back to the NIV. Last week, you had Eric Taunus here. Did you all enjoy Eric? Eric did a great job. Eric did a great job, and he, he actually talked about humility, right? He brought up this concept of humility, And he spent some time on it. He actually quoted a pretty famous quote from C.S. Lewis. And I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. But C.S. Lewis defined Christian humility as this. Christian humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking that you are low or that you are worthless or that you are unimportant. Although it sometimes feels that way, humility says, I'm not so important that I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I shouldn't do this, or shouldn't do that. Humility is not thinking of yourself as worthless, but it's thinking less of yourself and thinking more of others. Even as we heard read, right, from Pastor Jody, the idea of Jesus humbled himself, became like one of us. And so I don't want you to to confuse the two. It isn't having a bad self-esteem. That actually isn't humility. That's pride. That's a, that's a reverse of humility because you are defining yourself based off of yourself and based off of the way you feel. But God wants to step in and say, let me show you what real humility looks like. And he sent his son into the world and his son lived among us. His son was sinless. His son died on our behalf. And then he rose from the dead. And that's true humility, to come and deal with our consequences. What sin brought into the world was death. That was due us. Jesus took it upon himself. And this is the Jesus we've been talking about sitting at the table with, learning from in these different occasions where he's interacting with people that he's feeding or that are feeding him or sometimes just in the place where they were going to eat. I don't know if a lot of eating was going on, to be honest with you, with some of these stories, right? And today is another one of those occasions where we're going to see, even as you heard in that bumper, where this proud, he, he goes right after the proud. 
And he shows them what humility looks like. And so we're going to be checking out this, this passage, but I have another definition that I would like to throw out there for humility. This is something that I've worked with in different uh, classes. I'm the, I'm the growth pastor here at High Desert Church, and so we offer these different classes. And this was a definition I wrote a while back, and it is this. Humility is knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and how you are valued by God for his purposes. It's knowing who you are. And it's knowing where your limits are. And it's knowing that those limits don't have anything to do with your value before God. Because God values us, even those of us that have limits that are really, really constraining. And Jesus, who had no limits, who didn't need constraint at all, but yet he submitted himself to it in living in humility. And so with that in mind, I want to turn you to Luke 14 and 14 verse one. And we're going to, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that as we go, kind of the way I teach, if you don't know, I teach through the word and I will make a lot of comments. So hang with me. Don't get lost. They'll be up on the screen or in your Bible, preferably, because then you can see it in the page and see it come alive. Before we read this, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are so grateful and humbled that we get to come to a place like this in freedom, singing praise to you, singing hallelujah. Lord, we are so grateful to know who you are, to be able to hear from your word tonight, to be able to see your son interacting with some people that were proud and far from you and the way he did that, Lord. Help us to learn from his example. Help us to learn from what he instructed these people so that we might go out of here with a different perspective, with a renewed heart and a willingness to change not only the way we act, but the way we think. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so Luke chapter 14, verse one. On the Sabbath, it's an important day and we're supposed to do anything on that day. When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay, I want to stop right there for a moment, because if you don't know what a Pharisee is, this won't make a lot of sense. Last week, Dr. Tonus introduced us to the Pharisees, right? And, and he talked a little bit about that in some interactions. But the idea of the Pharisees and the interaction there, a lot has happened since then with the Pharisees and Jesus from chapter 7 all the way to where we're at in chapter 14. A lot of water under the bridge. And not like good, clean water, like dirty, murky water. The kind of water you don't want to step in. Jesus in chapter 11, if I'm going to flip back, you can flip back or you don't have to. Um, it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen to me. There's a point where Jesus actually gives seven woes, well, six woes and one, you foolish people. And he goes through kind of systematically breaking down some of the things that he saw in the Pharisees' pride. He said, you're hypocrites. You are unjust people. You are proud. You are dead. You're selfish. You're, you reject the word of God. And lastly, you deceive others as you do it. You see, the Pharisees, they were the righteous religious leaders of the day, they thought they had everything figured out. They thought they knew the law and beyond the law, they added to God's law, even more laws so that they could say, we are righteous. People would walk around and they would be the prominent people of the crowd. 
They've dressed differently. They acted differently. They spoke differently. They prayed differently. They gave their alms differently. They did everything so that others would look upon them and see that they are righteous, that they are better. And so last week, as Taunus talked about humility, we're going to talk about what does humility look like? How do we gain it? How do we have some clues from instruction from God's word, what we are to do to put ourselves in a position to be humble? And this is where we find ourselves, Jesus going to the house of these people who he had just finished <laughs> telling, you guys are a bunch of liars and you're dead people. In chapter 11, at the end, it says, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely, to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something that he might say. And so you could see that by the time we get to chapter 14, already these Pharisees are saying, how can we trap him? How can we get the people to know that he's not righteous, that he's actually from somewhere else? He's from Satan. He's not from God. So when we read this in chapter 14, that on the Sabbath, he went to eat at a prominent Pharisee's house, this word archon, it was a ruler of the Pharisees. He's like the top dog. You have to see that this was like walking into a room where you could cut the tension with a knife. Y'all been at a dinner where you feel a little bit out of your depth? You feel a little bit like, man, I don't know if I belong here. That was never true for Jesus. Never out of his depth, but certainly not welcomed. And here's one thing we have to know about our God. Our God does not have to be welcomed to work. And so we'll continue reading in verse two. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling in his body. This is dropsy, probably um, related and oftentimes associated with because of some sort of sexual misconduct, he was filled with fluid. That's what the connotation was, especially in the Pharisee's mind. So why was this guy there? Because they were seeking to trap him, right? So verse three, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, and I love this. This is our Jesus. <laughs> he asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He just cuts right to the chase. I know what you guys are about. I know what you're looking for. You tell me, is it okay if I heal this guy? Notice what it says. It says they were silent. They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, and it's a fascinating little art, you know, verb in the, in the Greek. He seized him. He grabbed him. He grabbed the man, and he healed him, and he sent him on his way. I want you to notice a couple of things. He grabs him, he heals him, and he sends him out of there. Get out of here, dude. You don't belong here. I don't want you around here. Because when I heal you, I want you away from people like this. I don't want you thinking with people like this. Trappers, deceivers, whitewashed tombs. There's a lot of stuff. If you read chapter 11, Jesus called these Pharisees and he sends this man away. And then he turns back to them and he says, he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Attention gets even more so. Jesus walking up, knowing the tension. Then he does something. He heals a man knowing he's already been criticized for this before. But now he knows, okay, now it's going to get real. And they say nothing. They say nothing. 
And so when we think about this, we have to remember that God also doesn't need permission to do his work. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need my permission. I pray that you are putting yourself in an expected position tonight to say, you know what? I would love to hear from you, Lord, what you need me to hear. But if you're not, guess what? It doesn't matter. If God needs you to hear something, you will hear something. Don't resist him because that wouldn't be humble. That would be proud. And so how do we look and how do we gain some of this humility that Jesus um, exuded, the things that he exemplified? We read from Philippians 2. When he humbled himself, how do we gain that? What does it look like to think less of ourselves, Less about ourselves, Less about self-consumption. And one of the first things is this. True humility involves a conscious pursuit. The reason I want to say it that way, a conscious pursuit, is because you have to know this is a diligent effort. You have a participatory role to play in this. God will help you see what humility is, but you got to also know it doesn't come natural. When you are regenerated, if you have believed on Christ for your salvation, then your heart and your mind have been changed. And they are changed to put yourself in a position because you cannot come to the Lord until you are humbled. That is recognizing you can't fix it, that you are not righteous, that you need someone to be righteous on your behalf. And you accept that free gift of salvation from Jesus. You're already humble. So how do we live in it? How do we keep walking in step with humility? We consciously pursue it. We consciously make an effort to do it. And so Jesus instructs them in this way. Look at verse seven. When he, that is Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. And so a parable is a, is a story or a, an instruction that is intended to get at one, one meaning, one purpose, one higher overarching thing. Not every little nuance of everything means something. It's kind of painting a broad stroke. And here's the parable he says to them. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor for the person more distinguished than you may have been invited as well. If so, then the host will invite both of you and you will come and you will say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Rather or but when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to notice the the instruction Jesus gave. He said, look, when you come into something, make an effort to put yourself in a position to be humble. Put yourself in the last seat. What does that look like for you? I don't know. I don't know your life. I don't know who you're dealing with. It may be someone who is really hard to be humble around. Y'all got people like that in your life? I think we all do. They're usually people that are humble themselves and we just want to dig. We don't want to be humble. We want to dig. Jesus, he didn't really even dig. What did he do? He healed a man, squeezed the water right out of him. And then he turned it right back on these proud people. And he said, look, you got your Sabbath rules. You got your things, but here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to heal someone, and I'm going to remind you that if you had an ox or a child who was stuck in a well, you would have wrung them out of the water too. You would have pulled them out. And when you pulled them out, you would have been putting them before yourself. You would have been taking the last seat. Because you know in your own conscience, right? If I break the Sabbath law, that's not right. But for the sake of someone else, I'm going to do what is uncomfortable for me so that I might exemplify who God is and what he's like. Because even as Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, in this little episode here where Jesus tells them to have a conscious pursuit, Jesus is trying to push at them that you guys aren't going to come by this naturally. You're going to have to do it on purpose. And here's the thing that you have to know about a Pharisee. A Pharisee was all about prominence. And so when he said, take the last seat, that would have been an intentional action of fighting against their natural inclination. And here's the wonderful thing about the reality that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. He is changing and remolding our natural inclinations to be supernatural inclinations. That is to look like Jesus. And so that's the first thing that we have to do. We have to say, guess what? I'm going to put myself in a position to be lowered. To be lowered. Not to think lowly of myself, that is to think I'm worthless, but to put myself where others see that I'm willing to do things that maybe others aren't willing to do. Because guess what? Jesus did something that nobody was willing to do. He died for us. And so that's the first thing that we have to remember to cultivate a a discipline of putting others before ourselves or sitting in the lowest seat, which leads right to the next thing Jesus brings up. And that is true humility demands selfless interactions, selfless interactions. Have you ever found yourself Maybe never saying this because most of us would never admit that we're saying this, but where we think or where we're involved in something where we would say, what am I going to get out of this? Why should I do this? Why should I go here? Why should I go there? Why should I do this for my boss? Why should I do this for my family member? Why should I do this for my husband or my wife? What's the payoff? If you've ever thought like that, and I would say I have thought like that then you're in good company with the Pharisees because that's how the Pharisees thought. And Jesus goes right at it. There's selfish interactions with people. He's saying, look, you've got to take the selfish out and put selfless in. And so if we look in verse 12, it reads this. Then Jesus said to the host. Now, I want you to notice the first interaction was with everybody at the table. I mean, everybody in the place. Then he turns directly to the host and he says something like this. And he's getting to the point. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind. That is people who in that culture had no way of paying you back. Most of these people were beggars. In that culture, they didn't have things providing for them. They didn't have government subsidies. 
And so what they had was someone sitting out there literally blind saying, please, can you feed me? And that's exactly who Jesus said to go to. And when he said, do not invite your friends and your neighbors and your rich, don't think of it as never invite them. He says, look, don't be looking at getting repaid. Hyperbole was a normal way of speaking. Jesus talked about cutting off your hand, gouging out your eye, all kinds of stuff. There was a normal rabbinic way of speaking. And so when you hear the do not, it doesn't mean never have your family over for dinner. But what it means is don't only have your family over for dinner. Have somebody who will not pay you back because as we finish and Jesus says in verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus goes right to the heart of these Pharisees. The reason that they were inviting even Jesus to dinner was because he was getting some attention. He is God after all. He was healing people. He was speaking with authority like people had never heard. He was interacting with people that others wouldn't interact with. He had a bunch of followers coming after him. That was a really eclectic group of some crazy people. One, a zealot who was a military fighter. Another, a tax collector who was a traitor to the Jews. And all of these guys were following after Jesus. And so the Pharisees, what? They want to rub up against him a little bit. Well, the people, they're following him. We need to We need to keep him in. And so they bring him in, not only to trap him, but also to associate with him. And Jesus cuts right to the chase, to the host. He says, look, stop being selfish in your interactions. Be selfless. And he tells them, don't be greedy. Do you find that greed is normal in the United States of America? Do you find that it's easy to fall into in your world, in your sphere of influence, that you can sometimes become greedy? Do you find that as you roll through the social media feed and you see all of the other things that people are doing or what they have, the discontent rises in you and that discontent can live itself out in greed and grasping and holding on to what you have and not dispensing it out because God has given it to you. No, it's not even yours. It's his. Everything in the earth is his and he entrusts us with it. And Jesus says, you want to know how to be humble? Stop holding on to things so tightly. Stop looking for a payout and start seeing people for the value that I place on them. Whether they're blind, crippled, or lame. Whether they're a sinner. Whether they're someone that you've already thought is far from God. Have you ever talked to them about God? You cannot say they're far from God if you've never talked to them about God. Because you don't know. God does not need your permission to work and he will show up when you least expect him. We sometimes get so selfish in our interactions that we are not willing to say, I'm going to set aside what makes me uncomfortable and I'm going to live in the uncomfortableness of what it is to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk in places where, man, you can cut the tension like a knife and I'm going to give to people who can't give me back. Remember the man that he squeezed the water out of? Jesus didn't ask for anything from him. He sent him away. 
Oftentimes when Jesus sent people away, he said a couple of things. He said, go sin no more. Or sometimes he said, go tell someone. You see, when we're selfless, we are being more like Jesus than any other time in our lives. And so how do you take on a humility? You start to ask yourself, you start to demand of yourself selfless interactions with others. If you don't have a place to live that out, then you invite it in. That's why I said, don't just invite the people that are comfy. Go see somebody who's not comfy. Invite them in. Because that's a way to keep yourself low. And when you keep yourself low, you will be lifted up. You will be lifted up. You see, Jesus was really, really focusing down for the Pharisees and honing down and getting farther down with the uncomfortableness of what their life was like. When you are a proud person who is self-righteous, it is really hard to think other than about yourself. And so he turns to the host. He says, look, stop it. Stop it. And it's interesting because the next interaction we have is going to teach us that true humility requires an honest self-evaluation, an honest self-evaluation. That is knowing ourselves, not knowing what we think we are, not knowing what we want to be, not knowing what we present to everybody else, but knowing what we really are. Self-evaluation, the lost art of introspection. We do not talk about introspection very much. Why? Because it hurts. Because it takes us to slow down. Because we can't just be flipping through a feed. We've got to be sitting and thinking through ourselves. Jesus caught a man who said something right after this. So I want you to notice in verse 14. Or sorry, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, that is Jesus saying, don't get, don't invite people to dinner who are going to repay you. One of the guys is sitting there said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now we don't get the tone. This is kind of like reading the text, right? You don't really get the tone, but I'm imagining the tone of this man was this. You have to know something about the Pharisees first. They were all about the resurrection. They believed in the resurrection. Their counterparts, these people called the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. And so there was this political thing going on. And when Jesus brought up the the resurrection of the righteous, he was actually giving them something to affirm. Because Jesus is not trying to bring you in without with making it so difficult Because his burden is light. But he is trying to get you in by saying, do you know who you are? Do you know what you're capable of? And are you willing, are you willing to be valued by me instead of valued by yourself? How do we know if we overvalue ourselves? We start to self-evaluate. This man did not self-evaluate. He responds like this. Blessed is the one who eats the feast in the kingdom of God. Essentially, what I think is going on here is this guy, this Pharisee is saying, Jesus, if you want to know where the righteous people are, they're right here, bro. They're right here. Jesus turns and responds to him. And if you look at verse 16, 
Jesus replied, and, and the implication in the text is that he replied to that man. And he says this, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he set his servants out to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So what happened in the ancient world, it wasn't like now where you can send a text to someone, hey, why don't y'all come over for dinner? Why don't you meet at my house at six? This was, they went out, they sent out an invitation. You were invited to come to a banquet. Now it wasn't like you could drive through Del Taco. So don't think of things like we live, right? We live in a, in a society where we're, if you're on your way home tonight and you're feeling like something, you can stop by Wendy's and get a Frosty, right? Or you can stop by and you can get yourself some chicken. Whatever you want to do. In the ancient world, it didn't roll like that. It didn't roll like that at all. When you were invited to a banquet, guess what? That was like the highlight of the year. That was almost as good as one of the feasts. It's probably even better because there's less people there and you didn't have to travel to get to it. And so they would send it out. People would say, yeah, we're good to go. And then after they kill all the animals, they gather all of the food, they get everything prepared. Then they would send back and say, okay, why don't you come when the sun comes down? Why don't you come to the house? And so I want you to get the picture there. And I want you to also know that this would have been something that the Pharisees would have held in high esteem. If I'm invited to a banquet, it's an opportunity for me to spread my political clout to everyone around me and tell them that we are the righteous ones. And it's wonderful to eat bread with us. And so Jesus goes a little farther and he says this, verse 18, but they all that was everybody that was invited alike, began to make excuses from the first. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. That's a lame excuse if I ever heard one. I bought a piece of dirt. I didn't look at it first and now I got to go look at it because it might move. Verse 19, another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go try them out. Please excuse me. That's another dumb excuse. Verse 20. This is the one that the only one that has merit in my mind. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The wife don't want me to come. Sorry. Now that one's more realistic, right? But here's what I want you to understand to the Pharisees. All of these excuses would have been stupid. They would have been ridiculous. They would have never turned down a banquet for those excuses. And so Jesus is doing something masterful right here. He is saying, put yourself in the position, gentlemen. Hear what I'm saying to you, self-righteous ones. You've been invited to something. Will you make excuses? So here's what happens. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the cripple, the blind and the lame, the same people that Jesus just told him to feed. Sir, he said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. We invited all the people from the town and the alleys. They came in and there's still room in your banquet. 
And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them. That is grab them, seize them. Just like Jesus grabbed that man and healed him. This is the same word. I'll grab them, bring them in so that my house might be full. I tell you, not one of those, none of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's interesting because Jesus is telling a story that has an impacted meaning here. (laughs) He's telling a story of the self-righteous Jewish people of the day when he lived. The Pharisees who were invited They were given an invitation. The invitation was the whole three quarters of your Bible from here. Promising the Messiah would come, promising that he would deliver the people, promising that he would heal the blind, that he would fix the lame, that he would be the one who brings deliverance. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And what do they do? Because of their pride, they ignored who he was. And they said, you're not one of us. Jesus You don't look like us, so you can't be from God. Man, talk about some people who need some self-evaluation. You see, if we ever put ourselves in a position where we think that God has to act the way we want God to act, then we have just circumvented humility and we have become more proud than we realize. Because God does not act as we want him to act. God acts in righteousness, in holiness, in love and compassion and mercy and justice, in infinite power and infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom, something that we could never comprehend. His ways are higher than ours and we will never know them, but we do not have to agree with them for him to act. And that is humbling. And when Jesus tells these men, you were invited to something and you rejected And so I'm moving on. I'm moving on to people that you never thought would come and they're going to fill my house and we are going to have the best party that you've ever, ever seen. You see, when we think about self-evaluation, we have to be very, very conscious of the fact that we have a lot of hangups. We got a lot of things that we ourselves are unwilling to move on. That's the opposite of pride, people. I mean, that's the opposite of humility. That is pride, sorry. When we are unwilling to move, we are acting as if we already know. When we are acting as if we already know what God wants to do in our hearts and our minds and our lives, then we are not pliable by him. And so how do we sit in a position of humility? We say, Lord... What do you need to do to me? What does it look like that I have still hanging on in those recesses of my flesh, of my sinfulness, of the places where I have not allowed you to infiltrate and carve out the bad stuff and replace it with the good stuff? Lord, what do you need to do? I want you to open up my mind to what I need to do. How do you know what God wants except by looking here? And Jesus was pointing out to these Jewish men, you've never gotten over yourselves. You've never become someone who's selfless. You've never looked inside and said, look, 
What do I need to do? Perhaps this man is from God. And so when we think about being humble, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. But before we ask questions, we need to finish two more verses that Jesus finished with. And I want you to see this in verse 25 and verse, through verse 27. And see where Jesus is. Remember, in a house with tension, talking to Pharisees. And now he's actually going to turn to a large crowd. Verse 25, large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning aside to them or turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife or children, brother or sister, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their own cross and follows me cannot be my disciple. Did you hear those words? Those are strong words. Those are hard words. That's not the first time Jesus said it. He said it in chapter nine, verses 23 and 24, almost verbatim. And he's saying, if you do not hate, and I'm not gonna soft sell this. He's saying, if you do not value me over anyone else or anything else in your world, in your life, your wife, your children, your husband, your boss, your neighbors, if you don't value me over them, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. Man, that is humbling. That is hard. And I don't want you to miss the point. Jesus is not saying hate people. He's saying, value me more than other people's opinion of you than other people's needs of you. But I can tell you one thing, that if you value me over people, then you will value people more than you ever have before. And then you will know what it is to live humbly before your God, not self-righteous. And so in closing, I want to give you three tests to evaluate yourself. The first one is this. It's just a question. How am I consciously pursuing humility? That's not a rhetorical question. That's not a yes or no question. That's a how question. This requires you to sit down and think. I don't even expect you to do it right now, but I encourage you, take some notes on that this week. Am I consciously pursuing humility? Am I consciously pursuing thinking less of myself, about myself, and thinking more about others? The next question, how am I selflessly interacting with others? Do you have a regular regimen of actually selflessly interacting with people? Not getting repaid, not trying to get something because you did something. Whether that's likes on your social media feed or that's actual money. Are you actually doing that? How are you doing that? And then the last one and probably the hardest one. Am I willing to honestly evaluate myself in these matters? Am I willing to sit, to pray, to have God open up my calloused heart sometimes where I've become so callous to what he wants to do, where I've become so proud to be unchanged by him that I cannot sit and let him open me up. So I sit with myself. I sit with his word and I read it and I pray and I say, God, what is it in me that you need to change 
so that I might be humbled. I'll tell you one of the things that hits me every time I do this. Brian, you are rebellious. You don't like authority. You don't want authority. But here's what you need to remember, Brian. In order to seat at my table, to have a seat at my table, you must be humble. That is, you must recognize that you can't do it on your own, that you can't be the one you need to be, that you have to come under my rule, my reign, my authority. And when I do that, guess what? A weight is lifted. A renewed heart of joy is filling me. And I understand, Lord, how wonderful, how wonderful it is to be under your authority, God. I don't want to be a self-righteous person. I don't want to be someone who, like a Pharisee, has already determined what you are and who you are, God. I want to be someone who sits and says, Lord, who are you? Show me through your word. Show me through your son. Show me through your people. And when you do that, I will know what it is to live in submission to you and humility before you so that I might be a vessel used by you. And so I don't know what your question is. I don't know what your thing is that you need to really concentrate on. But I encourage you to take one of these three. Sit with it. We don't just do church so you can hear a sermon and go, yeah, man, that was cool. We do church so that we might be people that are humbled before our God so that we might be lifted up. Because when we're lifted up, guess what? We're not lifted up in a proud way. (laughs) We're lifted up in a way that shows people This is what it looks like to be devoted to God. And when I'm devoted to God, I want you to know he wants to save you and he wants to save you and he wants to save you. But you know what it requires of you? Humility. Let me show you what that looks like. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for how it speaks even beyond me. I sometimes feel like such an inadequate vessel to explain what your truth is having for us. But Lord, I just ask that you would push this down into your people. Push this down into the heart of those that need to know. How do I achieve? How do I gain humility? How do I receive it from you, God, by your spirit? Lord, I pray that they would sit with these questions, that they would sit with these observations from the way you Jesus interacted with some men. Lord, that we wouldn't shy away from the fact that you demand nothing short of us, but full allegiance, not half allegiance, but a full allegiance that's ready to pick up our cross and die to ourselves, to our selfishness, to our pride, and to live in your humility. And so father, I thank you for moving in our hearts And if you're moving right now with conviction, Holy Spirit, in someone's heart today, I want you to cause them to to understand that they need to respond. And I'm talking to you if that was you today. If you need to respond to God because you've never been humbled before him, it takes you admitting that you are unable to save yourself, that you have sinned, that is, that you've done wrong against God, and that there's no way out for you except 
to present yourself to God saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I admit it. I have a need and only you can fill it. And then it's believing that Jesus is the one that fulfilled it by living a perfect life, never committing sin, and then standing in your place to receive the payment of sin, that is death. But Jesus did not stay dead. He rose. And when he rose, he ascended to the Father's right hand, showing that we can draw near through him. And so you have to believe that. You have to believe that Jesus made payment for you. But beyond admitting your need and believing Jesus provided for it, you have to actually willfully give yourself up, submit to him by faith, turn from sin and turn to him. Choose, choose to follow him. And you can pray a simple prayer. Lord, I admit my need for you. I admit that Jesus is the only one that can provide it. I believe that his death, burial, resurrection and ascension provides a way for me to live in community with you, Father. And so today I choose to submit my life to you, to humble myself because I now know that you valued me enough to put this plan into action. And so Lord, I choose to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer, we want to know. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to be renewed in our posture of humility, thinking less about ourselves and more about you. And by nature of that, thinking about others more important than ourselves. So Father, thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying, rising and ascending, showing our pathway back to God. And Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us these things are true, for convicting our hearts and for giving us the power to be changed by you. Amen.